Hello, everybody. This is Marshall Poe. I'm the editor of the New Books Network. NBN listeners like to read books and buy them. So we thought we'd tell you that right now, our friends at Princeton University Press are having a remarkable site-wide sale. You can get 50% off books, including ebooks and audiobooks, with the code 50, F-I-F-T-Y, at checkout until May 31. You can save some real money on Princeton University Press books. I encourage you to go there and check it out. <music> What does it mean to be a martyr? What does it mean to be an apostate? How should we understand people who choose one or the other? These are the questions asked by Shusaku Endo in his novel Silence, in which he tells the story of Japanese Catholics and foreign missionaries during Japan's Christian century of 1549 to 1650. Despite being published nearly 50 years ago, this novel continues to receive attention and spark debate. Dr. Mark Dennis and Dr. Darren Middleton, both of Texas Christian University, continue this discussion in their edited volume, Approaching Silence, New Perspectives on Shusako Endo's Classic Novel, published by Bloomsbury. Through a collection of thought-provoking essays, this anthology deals with these and related questions from multiple perspectives, leading to a rich discussion. This anthology also includes an afterword by Martin Scorsese on his film adaption of Silence. I hope you will enjoy the interview. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to New Books in Christian Studies. I'm Dr. Franklin Rausch of Lander University, the host of the channel. Today, we'll be talking to Dr. Mark Dennis and Dr. Darren Middleton about their new edited volume, Approaching Silence, New Perspectives on Shusaku Endo's Classic Novel, which is uh, has been published by Bloomsbury. Uh, Mark, Darren, welcome to the show. Thank you, Frank. Thank you, Frank. Well, I wonder if you could begin the interview by telling us a little bit about yourselves. Well, uh, this is Darren, and uh, I'm a native of uh, Nottingham, England, but I've been in the United States now for uh, just shy of 20 years, and uh, I've been at Texas Christian University for uh, a little under that, and um, I was trained at the University of Glasgow uh, in literature and in theology. And Frank, this is Mark. Um, I am originally from Wisconsin. I grew up in Madison, Wisconsin. Um, I spent about eight years living overseas in Japan and India. Uh, my training is in Japanese Buddhism, and I have been uh, teaching at TCU for eight years now. Oh, ex- oh excellent. Well, good deal. Well, that's definitely, uh, I think you're bringing together a lot of different disciplines together, and that really is, has helped lead to this being a really interesting book. Um, but this book is based on a novel that our listeners might not be familiar with. So I wonder if before we talk about the book itself, if you could give us kind of a brief summary of the novel Silence. Sure, Frank. Uh, this is Mark. Yeah. And the the novel tells the story of Portuguese Jesuit priests and the protagonist is Father Rodriguez. And the story is his uh, his mentor, his teacher had gone to Japan uh, to uh, set up a, a mission there, and there had been a series of letters that uh, his his teacher, his name is Father Ferreira, had been sending back to the seminary in Portugal, talking about the success of the mission, uh, how they were converting many Japanese souls, um, and 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 the news was very good, uh, but then suddenly the letters stopped. And eventually, uh, a rumor gets back to uh, the the seminary that the senior priest, Father Ferreira, may have apostatized while being tortured, which became very common in Japan uh, at the time. And so 
the 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 main trajectory of the story is Father Rodriguez, uh, the the student, with two of his fellow students going to Japan uh, to find out what the truth is uh, about their about their mentor, uh, but also to um, uh, to help what are called the hidden Christians, the Japanese Christians who were forced to hide their faith. After one of the military rulers, they're called the shoguns, uh, his name was Toyotomi Hideyoshi, uh, had um, uh, put forth an edict banning uh, Christianity. And there were a number of Christians, both foreign and Japanese, who were, who were martyred during this period. And so the, the key, one of the key elements of the novel is um, we, 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 we see in a very kind of dramatic scene where uh, the the student Father Rodriguez eventually meets up with his mentor Father Ferreira in prison, and he finds out that the rumors had been true that he had apostatized, um, and and uh, during this period there were many ways in in which they could do this, but but the key way was to step on or to spit upon an image of Jesus or Jesus and Mary. And this was known historically as the fumie. And fumie in Japanese means simply to step on a picture or an image. And so the 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 younger uh, the student finds out that that these rumors had been true, but it's complicated by the fact that uh, he had done so to save or to alleviate the suffering of Japanese Christians who were being tortured. Uh, not long after this meeting, uh, he, the student, uh, Father Rodriguez, finds himself in the same position, and he must decide uh, what is uh, the authentic face of Jesus, what are the authentic teachings uh, that have been transmitted in his name. And so this is the great uh, kind of uh, dramatic act in, in the novel, and one, uh, and, and I think we'll come back to this later, but the, the, the novel is being made into a film now by Martin Scorsese, and so we're, Darren and I are both excited to, to see how Scorsese uh, depicts in, in, the, in the film this, this, this very dramatic scene. Um, and then he does, he, he, steps on, he steps on this image. And so um, then the rest of the novel is, is kind of uh, playing out his life after he has decided that, that kind of the, um, uh, what, what he feels to be the authentic teachings of Jesus. And so that's the story in a very, uh, in a nutshell. Excellent. One thing that I, I think is really interesting is that you have this Catholic novel from, from Japan, which is not a place we usually think that much about uh, when we think of the history of Catholicism. Um, could you tell me a little bit more than about the author himself, um, Endo Shusaku? Yeah, uh, <clears throat> Endo was um, uh, a very interesting kind of uh, Catholic. He was somebody who was, who was uh, baptized really early on in his life, and um, but had a kind of um, interesting relationship to, to Catholicism. Um, in the sense that he he kind of likened it to uh, an ill-fitting suit, as it were. Um, you know, here here was something that uh, you know his mother was a devout Catholic, and uh, he he felt um, very fiercely loyal to his mother, um, and um, felt dutiful and wanted to be a part of the church in in uh, partly because of her, but he also felt that you know his Catholicism um, in Japan made him you know quite the outsider, and he always 
felt that way throughout his life and and used other metaphors but kept coming back to this this trope of the of the ill-fitting suit and i think that that kind of helped him in a way uh feel drawn toward um other individuals uh in history and of course in his fiction who were um I guess on the borderlands between belief and unbelief or who were trying in their own lives uh, and their own discipleship to uh, to calibrate the issue of of faith and doubt. Uh he was drawn to not just the martyrs uh that the Catholic history recorded uh the brave and glorious martyrs like the Nagasaki martyrs uh, Endo wrote a foreword uh to um a book about the Nagasaki martyrs he was he was very drawn to that Catholic history and that side of it, the official side of Catholic history, uh, but he was also drawn to the kind of the the, the dark underbelly, the, the the underside of that history, if you will, um, the apostates, the uh, the traitors, those who betrayed, those who had uh, who'd recanted their faith. Um, he was uh, drawn in particular to the fumier uh, that Mark uh, referenced here, this, this bronze replica of, of the Christ or uh, of the mother of God with the Christ child that um, the apostates often had to trample on or step upon. Um, he wanted to know, you know, what did they what did they feel as they were stepping on the fumier? What uh, what went through their their souls, their spirits? Um, and he was he was very drawn to those uh, those figures because he wondered about himself. Would would he have stepped on the fumier? I think the uh, the fumier pretty much obsessed him throughout his life. And there is a collection. Um, of Fumie, I think, at the uh, the Shusaka Endo Literary Museum in uh, in Western Japan, a uh, collection that he had acquired over the years. Um, he was he was, I think, drawn to these apostates partly because um, he felt that they were kind of twice damned, um, damned by the silence of God at the moment of torture, perhaps, and then damned by the silence of of subsequent. History. So he made a kind of vow to himself that he would, in his fiction, explore um, that kind of dark underbelly of, of Catholic history, those those traitors and those apostates. And that's what he did, I think, with novels like The Samurai and, and of course, uh, for our purposes, the novel Silence. And, and Frank, if I could just quickly add, um, I should have mentioned in my summary uh, that the there's a, a, a central Japanese character in the novel, and his name is Kichijiro, and he's he's described as being a devious and drunk, um, untrustworthy, and he apostatizes uh, a number of times, <laughs> and he's he's this despicable character, but just fascinating. And um, Darren had mentioned Endo's. Um, interest in these types of characters. In fact, uh, I think Van Gessel and some of the other essayists in the novel mention uh, how uh, Endo himself said, Kichijiro is me. I am, I am this character, Kichijiro. And so, um, as Darren mentioned, in a number of, his, um, number of his works, he's working out this um, uh, this relationship. And uh, a number of the essayists talk about the kind of logic of, of the weakling. And um, Dennis Hirota, I think uh, Van Gessel um, and some others, uh, Kevin Doak, I think, talks about this. Um, and it's an interesting and very important element in, in the novel and his broader, broader literary art. This is fascinating. And it, it just catches me because the only I'm a specialist in Korean Catholicism. 
And the closest we have to silence from, from Korea is a novel called Manam, which means encounter. And in that story, it's, it's all about the martyrs and their heroic, um, heroic confessions of Christ and their, their deaths. The only apostate um, ends up coming, coming back very unequivocally in the end. So it's interesting. We, very, very different kind of stories being told. But this, this novel, I think, was published in, was it 1996 originally? 1966. 66. Oh, 1966. Okay, I'm sorry. I misread the, um, I think I was reading the another translation. So it's been almost 50 years mm-hmm. since the novels come out. So how did that then, a, a 60-year-old novel, lead to a current book, uh, a co- collection of, of articles on that novel? Um, well, Mark and I um, have a, a friendship that goes goes back quite a bit. And, um, you know, there are all sorts of reasons for that friendship. One of them really early on, we, we um, discovered that uh, we have a, a fondness for this book, but we come at it from different angles. I teach a course at, at TCU on Jesus in fiction and film. And in the fourth and final unit in that course, I have students look at um, the kind of the, the global Christ, as I call it, looking at the the way in which Jesus, as a fictional character, shows up in non-Western context. So they get a, a kind of the students get a um, what you might call a, a cross-cultural encounter of the imaginative kind. They they get to see how the gospel um, uh, becomes flesh or, or becomes incarnate, as it were, in. Um, in in non-Christian contexts and non-Western contexts, and sometimes those contexts are, of course, hostile. Um, and you know, given where this this novel is set um, at a point in in Japanese history when Christianity is is certainly suspect at best, um, it's it's an interesting um, uh, novel to, to to put before the students. They they are seldom unmoved by it. Uh, Mark actually teaches it uh, in his classes on East Asian religions and in classes on religion and violence. And I'll, I'll let him speak to uh, to uh, how he comes at the novel from from those perspectives. Yeah. So Frank, I I had actually become I first became interested in the novel when I was. Um, teaching at another institution. While I was a graduate student, I taught at uh, Gustavus Adolphus College, uh, a small liberal arts college about an hour south of the Twin Cities. And uh, their East Asian historian had had um, retired and they didn't have anyone to replace him. And so I was invited to teach an East Asian history class. And uh, my younger brother teaches East Asian history. And I asked him what would be a good novel um, to use in this class. And he had actually recommended silence because it raises all kinds of interesting uh, questions about colonialism um, uh, and, and interesting questions about the history of Japan in, in particular. Uh, there was a famous uh, rebellion of Japanese Christians called the Shimabara Rebellion in, w- in which many, many uh, Christians were killed. Um, and there's there's all kinds of other interesting historical issues that are raised. And so I was introduced to the novel uh, in that way. But then, as, as Darren has, has mentioned, I've used it in a number of classes um, uh, at TCU. And one of the things that's fascinating is um, how I've taught, you know, I, I, my, my training is in Buddhism, but I've taught at two Christian affiliated institutions. And so uh, teaching the novel to... Um, classes in which many students are practicing Christians has, has really been quite a, um, quite interesting. 
um, especially in the debates that we see over the over this scene of you know whether whether Rodriguez Father Rodriguez has done the right thing by stepping on the fumier, but it's also an effective way to teach them um, uh, some some interesting lessons about East Asian history more broadly, but about Japanese history in in particular. Right, right. So excellent. So, and I found that really fascinating how you both ended up using this this same book. So what then led you then to say, okay, let's let's get more people here to contribute papers? Well, sometimes I think it's it's uh, we we found it difficult really to to find uh, and locate some of the uh, the really good scholarship on on silence and you know. Uh, Mark and I just sort of sat down and thought, wouldn't it be great if we could actually put together a book uh, which uh, which tackles some of the the issues like faith and doubt, like martyrdom, religion and violence, uh, Christian history, Japanese history. Um, that did that from uh, from uh, multiple perspectives, uh, and uh, and so slowly but surely we sort of set about reaching out to uh, all of our essayists and uh, a few more besides, and uh, including uh, Martin. Scorsese, who was very gracious enough to um, step aside from from his uh, filming schedule to write the afterword. Um, we assembled all the essays and had them all written and put them together in a kind of PDF form and then sent them to his publicist. And he took his time reading those and then sort of uh, wrote his, his afterword for it. We were also very lucky to secure the services of Stephen Dietz, who's a, an award-winning uh, dramatist or playwright who um, actually um, – uh, crafted a, a a play or a, a dramatic version of Silence. It's not it's not the script that uh, Martin Scorsese will use for his film. It's a very different script. Um, but it was performed uh, both in the United States and in Japan and won uh, the Japanese equivalent of the Tony. Uh, and uh, so we have that unabridged script uh, towards the end of our volume. So um, you know, the, even theater professors. Um, can actually take a look at, at 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 our book and and maybe um um use the the play um uh, for one of their own um sort of presentations or performances uh, uh, during the year or something um so we 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 reached out to uh, endo's translators some of those who had written uh, critically acclaimed monographs and and um uh essays on endo and we were um just uh, thunderstruck really by the positive response that we had from um, um, folk like Van Gessel, who's at Brigham Young, who's uh, arguably the, uh, the the world's foremost authority on Shusako Hendo, and uh, and others besides him who. Um, came from Christian and Buddhist and historical and literary perspectives. Um, it was just very, very fun working not only with Mark, but also with, uh, with the others on this collection. And, and Frank, if I could add, um, the, the afterword by Martin Scorsese is, is similar to a project that Darren had done uh, before, a project that we mentioned in the, in the introduction, but he had um, – uh, put together a collection of essays on uh, Nikos Kazantzakis's Last Temptation of, of Christ, a similar kind of anthology. But in that case, uh, Martin Scorsese had made uh, the film uh, before he had done the, uh, the anthology. But in, in that, for that anthology, Darren had written to him and, and invited him to contribute a, 
um, you know, a, a commentary on his on his film, and he very graciously agreed to do that again. And and one of the, this may be a good point to just talk briefly about the architecture of of the of our anthology. Um, and one of one of the things that we're really interested in exploring, and, and various essayists do this in different ways, but you know, what is what is the text? Um, so Shusaku Endo in, in, in the mid-1960s produces uh, this Japanese uh, text that's then translated by William Johnston into English. Uh, and so those, those are, are two different things. And I think we, we can come back to some of the translation issues. But then Martin Scorsese and Stephen Dietz, whom uh, Darren just mentioned, have taken that, that story and, and and uh, transformed it and put it into a, a different way of kind of existing in the world. And so um, we've been very interested in exploring those kinds of questions. And the way we've structured the, uh, the, the, um, the book is to, you know, we have our, our introduction uh, and then we talk about issues related to reception. So, for example, Mark Williams, uh, Kevin Doak, Van Gessel, uh, they all have, have really quite interesting things to say about how, um, the novel was was received, talking about some of the uh, prototypes for the characters, and, and Van Gessel, for example, talks about um, how the the reception of the novel was very 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 different in Japan uh, and and in the United States. Then we have another section on kind of Christian and Buddhist interpretations of the essay, and um, my essay is 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 in that section. We have a, a scholar from Ryukoku University. Uh, in Japan, his name is Dennis Hirota, who uses a uh, Pure Land Buddhist uh, thought to interpret the marshland metaphor uh, that Endo uses in silence. But then we have another section on Endo's uh, theology. That's that's our third section that's really quite interesting, and maybe Darren could say some more about. But then we have um, one essay about teaching the novel by a scholar named John Kultner, and then we conclude the fi- fifth and final section are the um, modern adaptations, um, the the play uh, by Stephen Dietz and then uh, Scorsese's filmic uh, adaptation that we're we're really excited to to see this year. Excellent. Oh, and for our our listeners, um, you know, we can't. Um, of course, since this is an anthology, we can't go through every single article. And I think we had a really good survey there that shows us the richness of this uh, of this book, of, of the various articles that are here. There's multiple perspectives, um, and there's almost kind of a conversation between them at times that shows very di- deep understandings of this novel. So I highly recommend uh, to our listeners that, you know, if you, if you kind of like our conversation here, if you actually pick up and read the book, you'll find even more. We're not going to be able to exhaust this. Right, right. Excellent. So um, I wonder then if we could revisit that Fumier scene. Sure. Um, Darren, do you want to? Sure. Um, the, the, obviously the Fumier scene is, is, uh, the moment of, of real kind of dramatic intensity and, and, uh, it's, it's full of, uh, uh existential import and, and, and it's really a, a moment of spiritual quandary and, and moral dilemma. Um, uh, Father Rodriguez is is uh, basically given um, an option. He can hold on to his faith and have the integrity that comes with holding on to his faith when um, he is placed in a moment of persecution. He can uh, sort of hold his head up and say, I didn't buckle under uh, the weight of, of, of persecution. 
uh, or he can step on the fumier. Um, the stepping on the fumier comes at a price. It will obviously um, uh, crush his own sense of moral and spiritual integrity. But um, there are Christians nearby who are suffering, and he can hear their suffering, their agonized pain and sorrow. Uh, these are his parishioners. These are the hidden Christians who've been rounded up and are being tortured. And uh, now that the uh, the authorities have their man, as it were, the priest, uh, they want him to recant. And if he agrees to publicly recant, then he um, the, the the parishioners will go free. Their their suffering will stop. And so, as I've said in in other contexts, this looks like a kind of straightforward utilitarian dilemma: uh, the greatest happiness for the greatest number of people. Um, but Endo is is not a mere consequentialist. He he wants to take us right into the very heart of this character uh, and um, and wants to to show us the struggle that he's going through and what happens in that in that scene is um, it, it often uh, moves our students to react in in all kinds of ways and I'm sure it does with lots of different readers um, I've I've come across Christians who are uh, enthralled by and beguiled by this scene and uh, hear um, what Rodriguez hears in this scene. And there are other Christians that I've come across that I've taught in adult Christian education seminars and workshops who who would just sooner throw the book across the other side of the room because they're not convinced that Rodriguez hears what he claims to hear, which is the voice of Christ coming from uh, the Fumier or the voice of God in Christ coming from the Fumier. Um, um, this this kind of uh, mystical moment, if you will, where Rodriguez kind of hears uh, the Christ of Philippians chapter two, the canonic Christ, who sort of says, "You know, I, I came into the world to be a servant. I, I outpoured all of myself and allowed myself to become weak in order to show the power of God." Uh, that that kind of thought, that the the motif of the weakness of God and how that's connected to the weak. Uh, the so-called weak Christian is, I think, um, Endo's finest moment in this novel because it, it does cause readers of all shapes and sizes to respond in, in all kinds of different ways. And, and Frank, oh, go, go on. yeah, I would just add that um, you know the the diversity of interpretations of that scene is is evident in the in the various essays. Uh, Mark Williams, for example, noticed, notes the, um, you know, the wide latitude in, in, in how people have interpreted stepping on the Fumier. And Van Gessel um, talks about how um, some Catholics, in uh, Japanese Catholics in modern Japan, had been extremely critical of the novel for its apparent uh, glorification of, of, uh, of apostasy. But then others, uh, other essayists talk about this scene and interpret it in very, very different ways. Um, Kevin Dope, maybe Darren, you can kind of situate his his interpretation. Sure, Kevin. Kevin's a really fine scholar from from Georgetown, and um, he actually does a very interesting study. He's, he's kind of the the 
the first essay in the volume, really, after the introduction. And he looks at um, something that Endo often did with his literature when he, when he sort of had an idea. He kind of uh, teased it out in short story form. And some of Endo's short stories are kind of precursors to some of his novels, in particular Silence. And uh, characters like Kichijiro show up in all kinds of different places. And, and so Kevin wrote an essay um, really looking at the short uh, fiction um, kind of precursors to the novel, but then delved into this this um, climactic scene and um, noted that, uh, that the customary interpretation among scholars, certainly in the Protestant world, is, is to think of this um, – moment really uh in which christ speaks to um to father rodriguez from the fumier as a moment of spiritual growth um uh on on the part of, of father rodriguez it's not a moment of weakness it's a moment of strength and and that's where kevin gets really really interesting because he actually says he actually thinks that a kind of protestant ecclesiology um shapes that reading that that um in traditional Catholicism, which of course equates uh, um, the church with the mystical body of Christ and therefore anything that goes against the teachings of the church in a sense is going against Christ, um, would, would that, a, a traditional Catholic reading wouldn't, wouldn't uh, favor the idea that, that Christ actually uh, says what he says from the Fumier and, and wouldn't see uh, Father Rodriguez as a symbol of spiritual growth and of and of uh, admirable discipleship. At that point, it's it's actually quite the reverse. Um, other essayists in the volume, of course, we, we try to be good scholars. We try to give voice to to other scholars. Uh, others sort of take issue with 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 that uh, interpretation. That's part of the beauty of working with such good people that you um, you get to see these these different voices or hear these different voices. Uh, but Kevin, you know, really is convinced that. Uh, the, the, the kind of um, uh, conventional interpretation of the ending of that novel is is more Protestant than Catholic, ironically. And, and Frank, I would I would just add that other essayists um, take up this this issue. It, it really is the the uh, one of the central themes of the novel. Uh, Dennis Washburn, who's a professor at, at Dartmouth, uh, takes it up, and and we have um, a scholar uh, Christopher Wackel. Um, who also addresses the issue, and, and uh, in, uh, towards the end of his essay, he argues that the priest, um, through his apostasy, abandons his cultural pride by adopting, and this is uh, what he said, describes as the life of a powerless other, and and he said, and Wackel argues thereby accesses a form of transcendence available in other sorts of of religious life. Uh, and, and other essayists uh, deal with it in, in other ways. Um, but Frank, we would be interested in in hearing your when you first uh, read that in, in our correspondence before um, before this interview, you had uh, mentioned a few things about this issue. What was your uh, own interpretation of that scene? Well, um, <laughs> well, well, I had a couple questions that rose out of it. Um, I read this a long time ago when I was an undergraduate. And I remember I was in that group of people that was very frustrated <laughs> by Father Rodriguez. Um, I wasn't a, a huge fan of his um, his decision, I suppose we could say. And um, and I should just point out as kind of background, I came into this because as an undergraduate, I took a couple Japanese history courses with George Ellison um, at Indiana University, who is a um, he wrote a book called Deus Destroyed, okay, which looks at how the um, looks at the anti-Catholic persecutions in Japan. 
and is especially interested in looking at the literature that's written against um, against them. Right. And so I was I was familiar with the um, the um, the Unzen and the um, the place where they're tortured and all that stuff when I, I read the novel. And I didn't. Um, my reaction was a little negative, <laughs> right, right. I suppose. And um, and I st- like I'd said before, I'm a specialist in Korean Catholicism, which is interesting because it's it's similar to Japan in some ways in that you have these massive persecutions um, where you have thousands of, of Catholics who are executed. Uh, but the the end story or the story that we have now is a little different. Um, Japan, it's I think it's what about half of a percent. Of Japanese or Catholics, right? Whereas in in Korea, it's um, approximately ten percent, and it's um, growth is slowing down, but it's still growing, and is still. Um, I mean, the Pope just visited Korea in, um, in August of two thousand fourteen as a as a kind of way to commemorate that. So as as I read this, uh, the articles in this book, and thought back to my experience, um, I, I can't help but bringing in what I know about Korean Catholicism. I see. I see. Okay. So. Um, is this, should I ask, I had sent a couple questions to you all. Do you want me to go ahead and ask these now or should I hold off? Yeah, let's, um, let's deal with those because they're, they're really fascinating. Okay. So this is, um, I usually for our listeners, I don't usually, our goal here is just to kind of give authors a chance to talk and to explain their work. But because this is an edited volume, things are a little different. Um, so I had, um, usually I don't like to ask questions other than just very simple ones. Uh, but here I, I uh, emailed our authors a couple questions. And they said, okay, these are fine. Let's go ahead and ask them. So my first question was, um, it would seem that most contributors argue that Father Rodriguez's decision to stamp upon the image of Christ in an attempt to save Japanese Catholics from suffering was a positive one, thus holding that the avoidance of suffering is a good higher than moral integrity. However, it seems to me that in doing this, the Catholic position that suffering can be salvific, that when born in union with God, it can be a benefit both to the person suffering and to others is being implicitly rejected. So I wonder if our, our um, editors could comment on this. Um, it's a fabulous question. It really is. And it's, it's, it's one that's um, I'm, I'm cognizant of its, of its profundity. I think um, that there's lots of ways in which you can, you can come at uh, an answer or, or maybe a set of answers. I think part of, part of the, uh, my response would be to sort of draw attention to the way in which, um, you know, obviously figures like uh, SAS, like, uh, like Kevin um, have, uh, you know, uh, a different voice and a different approach to some of the other contributors, myself included um, in the volume. Um, that's, that's one thing that I would say. I'd also want to sort of take you back to um, the point that I made a little earlier about um, how um, uh, Endo was, was, profoundly aware that Catholic history um, was very kind, if that's the right word, to uh, the brave and the, and the glorious martyrs who um, did not buckle under persecution and gave their lives uh, for, for their faith. Many, many of them have been canonized or, or, or at least uh, um, recognized by, uh, by, the, by the Catholic Church for their, for their martyrdom. Um, he was also profoundly aware that history had not been so kind to um, those who were the traitors, those who were the apostates, those who were the, the morally corrupt. And I think that, you know, Endo was a 
obviously a good Catholic, and and um, you know he would know his Bible, he would know his Lectio Divina, he would know that in some ways he has to read himself and history uh, into uh, Scripture at some point, and he would um, he would know his Luke chapter twenty two, he would know uh, the denial of Peter, uh, where Peter, of course, uh, and Luke is is Luke's gospel is is very interesting in this respect. He talks about how Peter follows Jesus from a distance, uh, and then denies him three times of course and the cock crows uh, and, uh, and and endo in that climactic scene uh, at the end of the novel actually the narrator references uh, makes this allusion to the cock that crows in the distance when father rodriguez steps on the fumier so i think he he he, he knows uh his his scriptures and he knows that there is um Obviously, a tradition of the Christ and of and of uh, disciples like Stephen, the first Christian martyr, who who goes uh, to to his death, uh, um, confident in his belief that he'll see Christ in paradise and that there will be life after death. Um, but he also knows that there's this uh, tradition of betrayal and of uh, persecution and of um, apostasy within Scripture as well, uh, to an, to a degree. And I think because of his own um, discipleship and because the, Endo is a character, a figure who comes out of, uh, you know, sort of modern Catholicism, a Second Vatican Council and all that. Um, and we do have a couple of essayists who, who touch on um, how Endo is shaped by the Second Vatican Council. Um, Endo, I think, would know that. Um, you know, modern Catholicism uh, teaches the idea that the human being is marked by the call to grandeur and the depths of, of misery. Uh, that's what it means to be a human being. That's Catholic theological anthropology. Uh, the call to grandeur is is the um, uh, the call to uh, to be a, a strong witness uh, for Christ. The depths of human misery is is really what we call sin. Uh, those of us who are Catholic Christians. Um, none of us are independently healthy and in a sense Rodriguez and Kichijiro are two sides of the same coin they they both hear this call to grandeur in the novel and but they're also capable of the depths of misery as I think Endo knew in his own soul he was uh, called to those things too and capable of those things as well so uh, I'm not sure that he would say that his novel um, somehow negates the the value of suffering, and uh, I I I think that what what he's trying to do is in some way connected to what Graham Greene taught him. I have this essay in there on on Graham Greene's relationship with uh, with Shusako Endo, which goes back a long way. Um, if I can just end with with an appeal to, to Graham Greene's understanding of the job of the novelist, which I think um, uh, Shusako Endo took on board and, and sort of uh, really did did run with. And that's the idea that it, Graham Greene once taught that the job of the novelist is actually to enlarge the reader's sympathy for those characters in and out of history who are somehow outside the official range of sympathy. And I think that's what Endo does with some of his characters, just as Green does. He 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 gives us, he serves up these characters who in some ways are reprehensible. They can certainly be the source of frustration, whether that's undergraduate frustration or actually in later age. Um, and and they, they can be the kind of individuals who make you want to throw the book the other side of the room. Um, but what 
what Endo and what Green are trying to do with their characters, and I think Endo does this with Father Rodriguez, but I do think he does it with Kichijiro as well, is he tries to get us to the point where we acknowledge that from maybe traditional Catholicism, maybe from traditional Christianity, given this this history of the glorious martyrs, these individuals, Rodriguez and, and Kichijiro, are outside of the official range of sympathy. Now, what do we do with them? Do we do we condemn them in some way? Do we judge them? Of course, we know what traditional Christianity says about condemnation and judgment. Um, but but as as a novelist uh, who happens to be a Catholic or a Catholic who happens to be a novelist, uh, depending upon which way you look at it, Endo wants to to try and enlarge our sympathy for both individuals and therefore take us into uh, a deeper understanding of what it means to be human and a deeper understanding, I think, of what it means to be a disciple. And, and oh, please, please. Well, Frank, I don't, I, I, I can't add much to that. That was, uh, that was very good. But, but I would just say, um, from, coming from the perspective of Buddhism and, and Dennis Hirota, Elizabeth Galbraith, and others to to a smaller degree um, uh, touch upon Buddhist teachings, but as as I think you probably know, um, you know the the central uh, message of of Buddhism is that life in the world is is uh, characterized by suffering, and suffering is is caused by by craving. And one of the things I do in my essay is talk about how Rodriguez, when he when he goes to Japan, he has this kind of majestic, um, glorious image of of martyrdom. Uh, the face of Jesus is this this beautiful face with blue eyes that is then transformed as he sees uh, the suffering that that his acts in 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 a way have have caused. Um, and so the the you know from this from a, a Buddhist perspective, the the reduction in in suffering of others is is central to the the path to enlightenment. Um, and you know, clearly there are many different Buddhist schools. And for example, Dennis Hirota uses uh, the Pure Land Buddhist teachings of of Shinran to talk about this, but I also uh, deal with it. So I think that's a, a a really interesting element to this. But then one of the other uh, elements in I think thinking about your question is kind of the transposition of a, of any religious um, uh, teaching outside of a particular historical, cultural, geographic context, and so. As a number of our essayists, including Galbraith and Hirota, discuss, there's this, um, there are these different religious sensibilities or modalities in Japan, and um, there's there's just this greater resonance that the Japanese feel with the kind of um, the maternal or the, uh, the 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 image of Christ that is softer and that that accepts the uh, the, the 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 suffering of of others. In fact, one of the Interesting issues in this in this climactic scene is the translation it, itself. Um, uh, Mark Williams, Van Gessel, uh, and I think a few other essays note that there's um, uh, William Johnston's translation of the Japanese. The Japanese reads "fumugai," which simply means it's it's okay it's okay for you to step on it. Whereas um, uh, Johnston translated it as "trample." Um, as, as an imperative, and so the, you know, the, just in that translation, you get a very different sense of of, of what is going on and what the message is uh, that's that's being received by um, by the priest. Um, so those are my comments on that that particular issue. But I think it's it's really quite interesting. And as Darren had mentioned, 
students are, you know, they, they find this simply fascinating. What is, you know, what is, I mean, in a, in a very kind of simple and maybe simplistic way, what is the essential face or message of, of, of Jesus? And that, and, and it gets students to argue very different in very different ways, just as our, uh, just as our essayists have done. Great. Excellent. Well, thank you so much. Those are really interesting, um, you know, statements that's helping me better to understand um, Endo and what he was trying to do there, especially this idea of let's get in the the people who are maybe excluded from history, because that's, that's one thing I'm interested in doing as a historian is, okay, what are the voices that are being left out? Um, that leads, though, to a kind of follow-up question, if I, if I may. Um, because if I understood, um, Darren, at first you're talking about that there's this kind of dichotomy between the heroic martyr and the villainous apostate or the weak apostate, the strong martyr and the weak apostate. Right. Is, is right. that so? I wonder because this is, I guess, kind of my uh, an issue I might have with Endo. What about a weak martyr? Um, is there such a character? So uh, when you, as we were talking about this, I I couldn't help but think of this one Korean martyr, a man named Paul E. Kyung Un, who's an interesting guy because he was kept in prison for a while and, and tortured, and then he ended up dying in prison. But what's interesting is he wrote down his experiences in, in prison. And what comes through is not a strong man at all. Uh, what comes through is a very, very weak man. Mm-hmm. Um, he's very, very open with his weakness. That he, He's not sure if he can hold out under torture um, and so forth. And he, he, um, he talks about when he's interrogated, they'll say things like, you know, if you just apostatize, you can go back and be with your family. Um, otherwise, you, you know, you're going to stay here and you're going to die. Aren't you afraid of dying? And he says, well, yes, of course I am afraid of dying, mm-hmm. um, which is it, it's it's very striking. He's very free with that kind of idea. And he basically is able to kind of endure because he he's connects his suffering with Jesus. Um, he doesn't I don't think he quotes it. This whole dive take, idea of taking up your cross and following Jesus. He doesn't quote that exact verse, but he does talk about this idea. I have to follow um, and through that, he's able to kind of deal with this. So um, I guess that's just what came through to me as I th- thought about this book, is I wonder if, if Endo made kind of almost a false opposition here between the strong martyr and the weak apostate, because it seems to me there are str- there are weak martyrs. Yeah, and I think that's, uh, you know, the one way, as I'm listening to you, one way to sort of respond to that is, to is of course, to go back to some of, of Paul's uh, letters. Um, and uh, I think I, I I could be wrong on this one, but I think um, Endo's baptismal name was Paul, uh, if I'm not um, mistaken. But but that aside, let me go back to Paul's letters. Paul, of course, has you know the, these wonderful sort of ironic turns, these paradoxical moments where he's saying that the that the power of God is to be found in the weakness of God, and 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 then of course in this Philippians two moment, this idea of kenosis from the Greek to to pour out or to even some would have it to annihilate oneself to but really the sort of the outpouring of oneself one one sort of lets go of all of one's attributes in order to serve others uh, one's own interests are, are sort of set to one side um i think um i think endo is trying to to have us uh, ponder um 
you know, what that might mean in this kind of context. Um, it, it's, it's possible, of course, and I'm sure, sure I can imagine an essay that would, would talk about that false dichotomy. Uh, I, I want to come back again to the idea that I think um, what, what Christ is saying, if it's Christ that's speaking or God in Christ that's breaking the silence, as it were, uh, from the Fumier, what God in Christ is, is saying is he's reminding Father Rodriguez, who as a priest is the altar Christus, who is the, is the Christ in the world, as it were, uh, uh, mystically for, for his parishioners. He's, he's reminding him that, um, the the, the the greatness of God, the power of God uh, is to be found in in the weakness of God. And this is, interestingly enough, a theme that's been picked up in, in recent years by philosophical theologians like uh, John Caputo, um, uh, who has made uh, a great deal of, of, uh, of kenosis and, and, and that as a starting point, not only for Christology, but also for soteriology as well. And, and we have an essayist in, in our volume, Jeff Kuse. Uh, who is a um, fine scholar out of Seattle, who is also editor of, of uh, Literature and Theology, the journal. Uh, he uh, makes a great deal of Endo's connection to uh, postmodern theologians like Caputo, and, and he too makes a great deal of, of the idea of, of kenosis. I think there is a kind of um, a take-up-and-follow aspect to, to Kichijiro and Father Rodriguez in the novel. I think Again, I'd want to come back to Luke chapter 22 and this idea of Peter, who, of course, is is recognized in history as the great symbol of faith. He is the one at Caesarea Philippi who says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. But then, you know, he's also the one that betrays the Christ. Um, he follows from a distance. And that, I think, is is um, an important trope uh, to use or an, imp- an important lens to use to try and understand characters like uh, Father Rodriguez and, uh, and Kichijiro. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, uh, Oh, Darren? Yes. Oh, oh hello. I'm sorry. Yes. <laughs> no, thank you very much. That was an excellent answer, and I, I, that's helping me really to understand what's going on more. Sure. I was I had a, a, a second question, but I wanted to give Darren an, an opportunity to to speak before asking. Oh, okay. Frank, yeah, this is Mark. Um, oh, I'm sorry, Mark. I meant Mark. Uh, I apologize. Oh, that was Darren who just spoke. Yep, yep. And the, the only thing that I would add um, – is it is more of a general comment, but um, a number of the essayists are trying to um, situate the novel and you know the scene of of uh, stepping on the fumier and uh, Rodriguez's transformation in the broader context of um, you know the kind of the historical development of of Catholicism, for example, Mark Bosco. Um, who's a Jesuit priest who's at um, Loyola University in Chicago, talks about, um, you know, he talks about the Catholic literary aesthetic, but then also thinking about Catholicism more broadly as both a religious faith, but then a hermeneutical lens. Uh, But then we have another essayist, uh, Crystal Whelan, who's an anthropologist, filmmaker, who's lived in Japan, um, and she talks about the... um, you know, the importance of the Second Vatican Council and how, um, you know, how Catholicism deal or is, is, is put in the position of dealing with other, other religious faiths. And she talks about some really interesting figures. And I think Darren may have alluded to some of them before, but Father Bede Griffiths, who was in uh, India for a long time, I spent a couple of years in the very south of India, and he had an ashram not too far from where I was, Thomas Merton and some 
some some other interesting figures. And so she argues that that really to understand uh, Endo's um, literary output, we have to kind of situate silence and and his other works in within what she calls the great transformative moment in the history of the Catholic Church, which is this uh, Second Vatican Council. So that that's what I would add. Oh, oh excellent. Thank you. Thank you. Um, would it be okay? I, I would really like to hear your responses to the second question I sent. Is that fine? Or Sure. Okay, excellent. So um, my second question then was, in the area I study, 19th century Korea, Several thousand Catholics, including a number of priests, were martyred. And of course, thousands of Japanese Catholics also chose death rather than renouncing their faith. Many Christians consider these people to be heroes who courageously witnessed to the victory of a God of love over the power of the world. However, holding up Father Rodriguez's decision to apostatize as correct seems to cast doubt upon the decision of these martyrs to choose death rather than giving up their faith. Uh, could you comment on this? Yeah, what I would say, Frank, and this this reminds me of kind of an argument or a debate that I've had in my um, in my world religions classes. In fact, I've just recently had it, and it's about a um, it's about an art exhibit that was created by an artist, Dred Scott Tyler, um, in which he created a photo montage of images of the American flag, which are considered to be sacred by many Americans that were put onto the wall of the museum. And there was a, a, a stand that was attached to the wall that had a book people could write on or write in making comments on the artwork. And then what he did that was very controversial was he put an authentic American flag on the floor in front of the exhibit. So you had to step on the flag uh, to see the exhibit, although it was possible to kind of walk around it. But the reason I raised that is because it, it highlights a, a basic tension in, in, in values. There's, um, in, in the debate that we just had, so, some students argued that the flag is a sacred symbol that represents uh, not only the country, but in particular, the soldiers who've died in battle defending it. Yet, that symbol also includes um, the, the, um, the, the, uh, these, uh, these rights that we consider to be basic to kind of our, our ethos, including the free speech, which includes or expression and the right to step on that flag. And so to answer your question, I would say it in a, in a similar way, it depends upon, I don't think we have a, uh, it, it, it seems like a conundrum, but it depends on what we really want to, to emphasize. Um, and that by emphasizing one, I don't think we have to, uh, it's not a zero-sum game where we necessarily have to to negate the other. And so, while we can celebrate um, uh, the courage or heroism of those who've who've uh, chosen to be martyrs, uh, I think it's perfectly legitimate, as Darren has you know eloquently stated, to to recognize the you know this 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 suffering and 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 what some of the essayists talk about as the you know, the logic of, of, of the weakling and certain to me, and I'm not trained in, in theology, but that would seem to be as equally an important part of, of the teachings of, of Jesus as, as, you know, the, the other side of, of that argument. So that, that would be my response to the, to the question. Yeah. And I think I just want to reiterate that, that point that I made a little earlier about how, um, uh, Endo's clearly as a, as a novelist, uh, 
quite drawn to those on the underside of history, as it were, but he was also um, profoundly inspired by those on the, the official side of, of Catholic history, as it were, the, the, the brave and the glorious martyrs that I, that I mentioned. And there is, this, there is this book about the Nagasaki martyrs where he, he writes a very glowing and a very moving uh, and poignant uh, forward or introduction to the book uh, in which he situates these figures in history and uh, valorizes them and upholds what they stood for. Um, I think in some ways this uh, the, the question is kind of inspiring me to sort of go back into my Christian history and think uh, about how uh, Augustine and, uh, and, and others handled the Donatist controversy, you know, the whole issue right. of, of buckling under persecution there during uh, – um, uh, during this this moment in in Roman North African history, uh, and, and and Augustine, of course, as, as you probably know, kind of solves the issue, if, if for want of a better expression, by uh, appealing to the to the grace of God and how you know the moral effort of of the individual. Um, is is what it is. I mean, some people have the ability to withstand persecution; others do not, uh, and history will deal with them as it as it does. Um, but from from Augustine's perspective, um, you know, the grace of God unites both kinds of of Christian, and I think uh, as as a good Catholic, uh, Endo would have inherited uh, that idea, of course, but he inherited this idea from 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 the Catholic. Uh, the French Catholic literary revival too uh, in the 20th century uh, Endo spent some time in uh, in Lyon in, in France and, and Father Bosco in our volume picks up on this as does Christopher Wackel um, as as do I in my in my essay on Graham Greene and the Catholic influences there um, that French Catholic literary revival for want of a, a, a you know, sort of a, a, a set of ideas that you'd associate with it, sort of believe that the sinner was at the heart of Christianity and that attention to um, the sinful life was 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 very important for any uh, good Christian. They had to sort of meditate and reflect on that. And I guess here we are in the middle of in the middle of Lent, uh, having to do <laughs> quite that thing. Uh, those of us who are who are Christian, uh, Catholic, or otherwise. Um, I think you know that there is something about this novel which uh, uh, appeals uh, to uh, to those who struggle with their discipleship, to those who who travel the Lenten road, and I think even Jeff Kuse at one point in his essay talks about the the Lenten face of Christ is something that uh, that Rodriguez sees uh, in in the in the Fumier uh, and in maybe in the in the eyes and the faces of the parishioners that he knows he's accountable to. Oh, excellent. Excellent. Thank you. That's very helpful. Thank you. So I, I wonder if um, I had one more question, if it's okay to ask, sure. um, because it comes out because you, we'd earlier talked about this translation issue with the Fumier, right? Is it trample, trample, or it's okay to trample? Right. Another, another similar issue that our, our listeners may not be familiar with, but may find interesting is the issue of the title of the book. Hmm. Um, of course, what, what did Endo want to call it? Yeah, he um, Van Gessel notes that he had wanted to call it the scent of a sunny uh, place or a sunny spot, um, which and and I think Van Gessel has he he's a, he's a, he's an excellent writer and he has a funny line. Do you remember Darren? Oh, it wouldn't have sold. It, it wouldn't have sold but one book, <laughs> but, I think. Yeah, <laughs> let, let me see if I, I can find that real quick. Um, but 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 anyway, yeah. So and and he and I think uh, maybe Mark Williams or one or two other essayists note 
um, the the issue with the title. Um, and uh, oh yeah, the scent of a sunny spot. And then he says, "It's it's an infuriatingly impossible <laughs> title to translate in a way that would encourage the sales of even a single copy of the <laughs> yeah, novel." Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so very, very funny. But yeah, and and it raises this issue of of the 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 title itself that. Um, you know, there's he, there's this alternative title um, that he had wanted to go with, but then there's the debate over, you know, what is what is the silence that's being referred to, and and Van Gessel, who we just referred to, says that it's the, you know, he he argues that it's not the silence of of God, which I think is is something that most um, readers would would see as as a pretty clear form of silence. I mean, Rodriguez um, in the first part of the novel, you know, gets gets angry when he sees the the martyrdom of, of the Japanese Christians and, and asks God, why do you remain silent when um, when these when these people are suffering? But Van Gessel argues that it's the silencing of of the ego of, of Father Rodriguez. And then there there are a number of other interpretations of of the title uh, itself. And Darren, what would you Add to that. I would only add that a lot of my students, when they read this novel for the first time, sort of think that it's a kind of a modern retelling of of, of Job, as it were, in, in a Japanese oh, cool. context. That in some ways, Father Rodriguez is a bit like Job. Um, you know, he's he's full of his own sense of of self at the at the beginning of the novel, as Job appears to be in in the biblical book, and and then things get taken away from him. Things, you know. Uh, bad stuff happens uh, and he's uh, constantly looking often in the form of a prayer for an answer or from for some kind of explanation and all he hears is a kind of the the the, the, the roar of the sea uh, the um, the muteness of, of God the silence of God uh, and that's how they that's how they read it but um, van Gessel and and others in the volume are quite quite fascinating with the way they draw attention to the the form of narration in in the novel the way it's it's all told in the first person and then it shifts to the third person and you get the sense in which uh, even from the telling of the tour uh, the story there's a kind of canotic outpouring of self in the form of the narration the way it shifts so abruptly from first person to third uh, it's as though the uh, narratorial voice has become evacuated or is as uh, had to pour out itself because this is a, a story about not just father rodriguez but others as well and, and Frank, I would just add on Darren's last point that um, I think it's it's Van Gessel, but also Dennis Washburn uh, have extended commentaries on this um, on this transformation from the third uh, from the first person to the third person. And then, as you may remember, towards the end of the novel, um, Rodriguez, Father Rodriguez, like his mentor, Father Ferreira, is given a Japanese identity and. And Rodriguez becomes Okada San Amon, um, and so that's another interesting uh, part of of that trajectory. Excellent. Well, thank you, and I hope our our listeners will really go out and uh, pick up your book because, as, as you can see from from having listened to it, how much there is not only um, to both the um, the edited volume that we're discussing, approaching silence, and also to the novel itself. So I highly recommend them to or you, our listeners, to go out and have a look at this. Um, we've taken a lot of your time, but I, I wanted to ask you if you, if we could take a little bit more so that you could tell us what you're working on now. Um, my latest project is a translation of, uh, text written in modern Japanese by, um, 
a really well-known uh, uh, Buddhist scholar. His name is Takasaki Jikido, and he died about a year ago. And he wrote a voluminous and seminal text called uh, that that addresses what's called Tathagata Garbha or Buddha nature uh, thought. And so I've been uh, working over the last uh, two months trying to get uh, copyright uh, permissions and things like that. Uh, but I'm I'm going to translate uh, that text. So that's that's my my next big project. And mine, this is Darren. My next project is uh, I'm, at the moment I'm researching a um, uh, a monograph that'll look at the the treatment of theologians as protagonists in works of modern fiction. One of the things that I have discovered is that there's a there's a kind of a, a cottage industry of uh, historical novels. Some of them are kind of uh, literary hagiographies. Uh, um, uh, equally as fascinating uh, books really fictional uh, texts that uh, in which theologians from Augustine to Aquinas to Thomas Merton to Dietrich Bonhoeffer show up uh, as as figures as fictional characters and I want to to look at the ways in which those theologians are treated in fiction and then of course I'm really fascinated who actually reads this stuff and why well that well those both sound like very interesting projects I'm looking forward to hearing how they all go. Thank you. Thank you. Frank. Well, thank you again so much for being with us today and giving us your valuable time. Thank you. Our pleasure. All right, thank you. Well, you have a great day. Thank you. You too, Frank. Bye-bye. Bye. Thank you very much uh, for listening to this interview of the Christian Studies channel of the New Books Network. Uh, have a great day and hope to hear from you again.